Amen. You can be seated. And uh, um, if you have a, a Bible with you or on your phone or whatever, you can turn to John chapter 4. Um, that's where we're going to spend a little bit of time here this evening. And um, before I jump in, uh, you probably thought uh, you were seeing double as my wife on the keyboard and her sister, uh, Ruthie, uh, who was playing uh, the djembe and all of that stuff uh, this evening. She's visiting uh, us from California, which is where uh, my wife is from. And uh, so we're grateful to have her here and grateful that she jumped in. They, they have a musical family, and, um, uh, and that's, that's awesome because I like music and uh, <laughs> singing with my wife. Um, I want to talk to you tonight um, if, you, if you keep track of titles, the title of my message is uh, The Joy of Being Found. And um, we're going to look here in John chapter 4. But, um, you know, just in preparing this message and thinking through this message, there was um, on, on some level such, such a struggle. And, and then when I, I, I come here tonight and, um, you know, um, Mary... She knew that I was going to be speaking, and, and she started organizing the songs and, and all of that. And then I hear, you know, the testimonies and, and everything that's, that's going on and, and just the way that God is moving in worship. And I, I feel that there's, um, there's a real anointing in, in returning uh, tonight. And, and I don't know fully what that means. Um, if it's people who are far away from the Lord, um, if it's people who have just strayed, begun to stray, if it's people who um, have begun to, to lose their joy uh, in the process, um, whatever it is, I, I just really feel like that as we jump into this tonight, that there's, um, there's just anointing on God, just removing barriers tonight, and whatever it is, and that if we're willing to, to take that step and, and to, to return home, um, that there's, there's just a strength that God wants to provide for that tonight. And so I say that um, not as just, I just feel that in my heart. And, uh, and, and I hope that as we dig into this, uh, if that's you or anybody that's, that's listening or will listen in, in the coming days, uh, I think the anointing of God's word goes beyond uh, just what we're doing here in a moment. And I think that uh, any time that anyone hears God's word in, in any moment, no matter when it was preached, it can touch a heart and a life. And so uh, uh, just return, return to the Lord. Even what Pastor Charles shared was so timely, um, you know, and I, and I believe that God's going to make that known. But John chapter 4, you have it there? Uh, just hold on to it. Um, you know that, um, you know, when we're kids, um, you know, one of everybody's favorite games to play when we're really little is hide and go seek, right? In hide and go seek, everybody, you know, you know, generally know the rules. There's somebody chosen um, that counts to 10 or 20, or sometimes when they're real young, they can't even do that. It's like 1, 2, 3, 17, 20, and then they're off to the races, and, 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 and you never know what's going to happen after that, and it's, it's, it's always fun to watch kids at different stages of development uh, play this game, because there are sort of different levels to this game that kids play. And there's that first level where it's, it's like you're just trying to be hidden and understand what that means. 
And so when you're playing, when you're like at this level, you know, somebody counts and you hear the giggling and the running around and they don't exactly know where to hide. And they think, well, because I can't see them, they must not be able to see me. And so they've got, they're standing behind something, but you can clearly see their legs or you can see them like they're just underneath a blanket or, you know, their head like from behind a chair or, or whatever the case may be, because you really don't know what being hidden really looks like. But then as you grow a little bit older and you begin to continue to develop, you progress into the next stage, which is now you have the hope of not being found, right? And so it's at this stage where you really begin to, to know the game. And when you know the game, it's not just about knowing the game, but it's also about knowing the person who is trying to find you. And you know where that person will and won't look and what it is that they'll do. You'll know if it's a person that really knows how to play the game or if it's a person that just kind of stands in the middle of the room and looks around and says, oh, I don't see anybody. And so, you know, it's at this place where... Uh, you know, you learn the best spots and, and, and nothing is really off limits. And the kids that really that really uh, excel at this game, they're the ones that you find, like not just on the first branch of the tree, but they like went like all the way to the top. They did the extra. Right. And so you have that sort of segment of the game. And then you have the last segment, which I've only heard holds, heard stories of, and that's the level of the game where you're so hidden that you're just lost. Like you fell asleep, you're stuck somewhere, nobody is out to find you. It's just, it's just like, well, we don't know where they are, we're just, we're gonna go, it's time for dinner, like we're out. And maybe you see them again and maybe you don't. And, and I guess that's none of you because you're here tonight. Maybe you know somebody uh, that was like that, but like I said, I've, I've heard those stories. Well, I remember uh, years ago, whenever um, I, I started playing hide-and-go-seek uh, with my oldest son, Liam, and he's, this is a game he's, he still loves to play. Uh, he, he loves playing, playing games, and he was probably maybe two years old. I'm not really sure how, how old he was, but he was pretty small, and so you know the drill. You play hide-and-go-seek. Daddy want to play. Daddy want to play, and you count, and so I sit there, and I count, and you hear little feet running all over the floor and going to a different place, and then you, 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 say, you get to 20, and then you say, uh, ready or not, here I come, right? And you hear those words, and when you hear those words, you hear the little giggle. And then, almost always, I just think it's a normal thing. You say, you know, their name, you say, or you say, where are you? And then my two-year-old son at the time, you know, when he heard, where are you, he would jump out and say, I'm right here. <laughs> it's like, you're, that's not quite the point of the game. <laughs> like, like, but to him, that, that, that was the point of the game, right? To him, it was about the relationship of the one with whom he was playing the game. It wasn't, the joy wasn't in being hidden. The joy was in being found and being reconnected and starting over and laughing together and enjoying the moment. And, 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 and again, it wasn't just, the joy wasn't in how good I could find a place to be hidden. He didn't even really understand what it meant to be hidden. It was just, it was just the joy was in being found. We did it. We, we won the game. You found me, right? And that seemed to be the purpose of the game. And I, and I think on some level, it's, it's a shame that as we get older, we lose that perspective and we, be, we do the opposite and we become better at hiding. Because I think that it would make a lot easier if we realized that the joy is in being found. Not in, not in the hiding and not thinking that we're hidden or the getting away with or the manipulating, but the joy is, is in the being found, in the, the being reconnected to the one that we're in the game with. And... 
it's not just a game that we play as kids, but it's something that we get into and we carry with us into our adult lives when we feel like that our life doesn't measure up to what we expected or measure up to what we believe that other people expect of us or maybe what we think that God expects us of us or our parents expect of us or the friends that we go to school expect of us and we try to fit in and when things don't quite look like, we begin to adjust ourselves in the way that we do things and we adjust our identities to to be something that we're clearly not because we think that there's joy found in hiding because if they don't really know who we really are and if we mask who it is that we really are, then we can truly begin to succeed and we can truly begin to enjoy life. But the joy is not in the hiding. The joy is in being found. Because it's our little manageable sins that eventually grow into the unmanageable sins and they begin to assume or bring about an identity that we were never created for. And when we begin to assume an identity that we were never created for, then we begin to thirst for things that can never satisfy and our lives are driven by the pursuit of all of the wrong things. And so it's that question, how well can I hide today, which becomes the standard and the measure by which we live because we don't want people really seeing the brokenness that's on the inside. I'll be too judged. I I, I won't be accepted. I'll never survive if I'm found out, right? This is what we tell ourselves. I'm going to die. It's too bad. It's too hard. It's too far. It's too much. But it's exactly the the two. It's, It's that two, that process, that chasm between where I am and where it is that I want to go, where the miracle is found, where it is the one who's trying, who's searching and is trying to hide us is waiting for us. And promises us if that if we aren't afraid of the the too far, the too much, the too gone, that he will walk us through to the other side. And it's when we start playing the game. That begins as an innocent game that quickly becomes something that really wasn't a game at all. And so it's here in this story in John chapter 4. I want to read, it's, a, it's several verses that we're going to read tonight, but we're going to read about a specific woman who was found and learn a couple of principles about what God means uh, as he talks to us about this tonight. So we're going to pick up actually in verse 4 because we don't really, uh, for the purposes of this message, need the first three verses. Uh, it just says that Ju- Jesus uh, left the, the, the region that he was in to go to Galilee. It says he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if only if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would we get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? 
Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go to your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. The father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And then it says that Jesus, his disciples then came back and they were shocked to find him speaking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So people came streaming from the village to see him. You know, I could think or I could imagine that in this story, when I think about this woman she probably felt very much the same way that we can feel sometimes when we get into that mode where we think that we have to hide because of the way that her life had begun to unravel. I'm sure that she grew up just a regular girl like everybody else with big dreams, and she probably wanted what every other little girl did, and she played with all the same toys that every other girl, little girl did, and she ran around in the yard, and she helped mom or dad or whoever with, with the chores around the house, and she wanted just a nice home and a nice family and, and just a nice life. But after the first husband came, she, she, she didn't really realize what to do with her life. And she didn't understand the brokenness that had taken part, but obviously she became codependent because it wasn't just the first husband or the second husband or the third husband or the fourth husband or the fifth husband, but it continued on to the man that she was with now that she wasn't even married to. And I could just think back as she would, she would organize her life around being able to come to this well at a time of the day when she wouldn't have to be surrounded by any of her peers. Everything that she did now, whether she went to the well, and if she went to the well at noontime when you don't normally go to the well, then that means you had to do something that you would normally do at noontime at, a, at another time because maybe she didn't want to be home so that nobody could find her. But I could imagine that the first time that the first husband left her and it didn't work out, she, she started feeling nervous and she started feeling anxious and wondering how people were going to view her or judge her. And when the second husband left her and she began to wonder what's wrong with me and maybe I just need to show up, I'm going to show up just a little bit later today so that way most of them can go by and then they won't have anything to say. But then after the third and the fourth and the gossip began and the finger pointing began and the judgment began to be pronounced, she 
She said, forget it, I quit, and I'm just going to come at a part of the day that is most inconvenient. It's hot, there's no one to help me, and I am alone. And this was the life that she had decided was better for herself. She quit, and she got stuck in this cycle. And it was at this place, though, when she decided on whatever day this was to head to the well where everything changed. Because there was this man, Jesus, who she didn't know. She just knew it was a Jewish man that was sitting at the well at that time, that day, whenever she got there. And if I'm thinking back, I, I, I think about this time, I know myself, and I know when I've, when I've done the wrong thing or I've made a mistake, when I see somebody uh, ahead, it doesn't matter anybody because I'm the type of person that if I've, if I've messed up, I just don't want to deal with anybody, right? I want to just go away. I want to, to, to crawl in a hole. I don't want to see you. I don't want to see my brother. I don't want to see my dad. I don't want to see somebody's uncle. I just want to be away, right? And so I could imagine as she's walking up to this place that she has to go to for the day and seeing a man sitting there, she's probably thinking to herself, oh my gosh, this is the last thing that I wanted to happen today. I have my system. I have my way of going about things. I've, I've tried to protect myself by the way I'm doing. And then this guy is sitting here. And as she's walking up, I could just imagine that maybe she somehow decided, well, I'll walk to the other side of the well and maybe he won't bother me and I'll be able to get my water and I'll just begin to leave. But the problem was is that as she stepped up and walked up to the well, Jesus pursued her by doing three things. And the first one is that he identifies with her need. He then he identifies her pain and then he identifies himself. He identified with her need, he identifies her pain, and he identified, identifies himself. And he identifies her need by when she comes up, the first thing that he says to her is, give me a drink. Now, can you imagine this man, Jesus, sitting at a well asking somebody that he had never any business talking to according to the religious standards and traditions of the day, asking this woman to give me some, would you give me something to drink? How crazy is, is it the one that, that made it all? How crazy is it that the one who provided the well and provided the water in the well is asking this woman for something to drink and he does that so that he can identify with her in the place of her need at that moment because he's trying to find a way into her heart. And this is what God has done from the beginning of the time. Our God is an, 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 an incarnational God, meaning that he has always stepped down from his place into our space so that he can capture our hearts, so that he can reunite us with himself. And he knows that we can't get from here to there without his, his intervening. And so he has taken the initiative to do that for us. And in fact, in Philippians chapter 2, it says that, that, that being found, in the very nature God, he humbled himself and took on the form of the lowest place of man, the, the, the place of a, of a slave, and he became obedient even to the point of death. And it's not that the passage of scripture and the, the words that are there are not saying that Jesus left something up there and came to something down here, but rather what it is saying is because of who he was up there, he, he then was willing to become who he needed to be down here to take the position that he had to take so that he could be among us. 
And that's the heart of our God. By asking her in that moment, he identified with her thirst. Our God became thirsty so that he could have a conversation, so that he could meet a woman who was hurting and broken and hiding and had organized her life about what she was trying to cover up so that he could uncover it and he could find a space into her life to bring healing to her. And I don't know if she was relieved that it wasn't someone that she knew. I don't know if it was just, you know, maybe she was dying for real connection with somebody, but she responded back and she said, why are you asking me for a drink? Because this is not supposed to happen. This is not the way that it works. You, the man that you are, are not supposed to be talking to me but then Jesus said if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to then you would ask me and I would give you living water see I'm here asking you for water so that I can help you understand that you need to ask me for water and it's here that Jesus begins to reverse the game right the the hide and seek game that we talked about earlier because Jesus doesn't want us moving from place to from, moving from the place of the joy of being found to the joy of being hidden Jesus understands that she's finding comfort in being hidden but he wants to bring her to the place of of the joy of being found and so even now he begins to reverse the game because he's telling her you've got it backwards instead of deflecting and hiding you should be coming to me because I have something better in store for you than what your little charade can provide and it'll keep you coming back like it always has. What you're connected to, what you are striving for, what you're working hard for just to, to, to provide a momentary satisfaction for your thirst is only going to keep you trapped. If you would only understand who is asking you, I would give you living water. I have this living water, water, and instead of searching for satisfaction from a temporary source, it'll be like a bubbling spring welling up inside of you. It'll be fresh water, clean water, not that stagnant stuff that you have to take home and boil it because it's not even good enough to drink when you bring it out. And there's something inside of her that, begin, that gets anxious, it gets excited, and, 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 and she responds, well, give me this water so that I'll never be thirsty again and never have to come back here to get it right and and so give me this water if this is what you have this fresh bubbling up water and it's going to be well I need that water because I sure don't want to come here I sure don't want to have to come back out into this space back into the light back into where people are going to see me and I don't know if it's because she wanted to avoid the shame that she experienced on a daily basis or if she just wanted to uh, to to have an easier life but her curiosity which struck Jesus identifying with her thirst had opened the door that that he was looking for. And so after he identified with her need, he now goes the next step and he identifies her pain. He says, go get your husband, which is a strange statement, I think, after somebody asks you for some water. He says, well, go get your husband. And maybe she thought, well, okay, maybe he's going to have asked me to have him get me water. And But she says, you know, She's, I don't know if she, she probably like wanted to avoid that statement, right? Coming to the well when she did, she didn't want to have that, 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 that conversation today. But she, Jesus took the opportunity, opportunity that he had, that he saw to open that door. And it was as if, as if he was saying here, this is, this is your problem. 
right? I, I, I see it. I, I see your problem because when she responds that, that I don't have a husband, he's like, well, actually, you're right because you've had several and the man that you're living with now is not your husband. So there's a mess going on here, right? There's a problem. Let's just be honest about it. Let's just get real here just for a moment. This is what you're up against. And this is what is dictating the direction of your life. This is what has you coming to the well at noonday. This is what has you blind. This is what has you bound. This is what has you distracted. This is what has you frustrated, my dear, and this is not what I want for you. And so he's helping her understand, well, this is it. This is the place. This is the moment of your pain. And it was right after that that he chooses to identify himself. After a lengthy theological discussion that she enters into, which is for a whole separate reason, she says, well, I know the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. In other words, what she's saying is, yeah, things are messy now, but when the Messiah comes, he'll, he'll sort it all out then. Probably kind of like that response that we often have, well, God knows my heart. And the obvious response by the person listening is, yeah, he does. And that's why you need Jesus right now instead of you deflecting whatever we're talking about. She's like, he's going to sort it all out when he comes back. You know, I'm just doing the best that I can, right? I know that he's coming. I've, I, I, I worship on the mountain that I was taught to worship on. I'm going through all the, all the, uh, the religious things, and I'm following the traditions, and I'm doing what I was taught to do, and this is the life that I have, and this is the hand that I was dealt, and, 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 and I can't do anything better because I know that make it if everybody knows everything about me and so I'm trying to hide myself and it's at that moment he says I am the Messiah and all of the the ramblings of her mind and all of the the things that she's trying to to figure out in her head and the way she's organizing her life and he exposes the problem and as she's sitting there looking at it he says but I'm the Messiah yes I'm, I'm going to come to sort everything out but I'm here talking to you now and you have a mess that I want to sort out right now not at the end not at some other place in time I met you here so that we could take care of this right now and so he left her with two choices here's your problem and here's the answer and this is the choice that God has always given us even in the old testament when when Joshua was talking to the people he said see I've laid before you life and death which way will you choose? God, standing with Adam and Eve in the garden, here's the tree of life. Don't eat, eat, eat from it. I have given you two choices, life and I've given you death. Which one will you choose today? And every, every single day we wake up and we have that choice. Do we choose life or we, do we choose death today? Do we choose to go on in our hiding and our deflecting and our trying to organize our life around our problems or do we choose life today do we choose Jesus today but the exciting thing is for her is that she must have come come to the correct answer because in verse 20 28 it says that the woman left her bucket besides the well beside the well and ran back to the village to tell everyone come and see a man who told me everything I ever did the bucket represented the 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 her identity in that time the bucket was the thing that she came to get the water to satisfy her thirst. The bucket was the thing that, 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 that was the proof 
that she couldn't come at the other times when everybody else came, but she came during that time when she could be alone so that she could hide. But Jesus found her in her place of hiding, and she walked away with a new identity because she wasn't afraid. She was afraid to come to the well to see others, but after meeting Jesus, she wasn't afraid to run into the town and say, look, I have met one who told me everything I ever did. You guys think you know my life. You think you know what I've been through. You think you know my problems, but I have sat with the one who knows everything I ever did, and it absolutely transformed my life. Could he be the Messiah? And she was so persuasive that it says that the people came streaming from the village to see him. And she was the first missionary that went into this town in Samaria. And the next one that went in was Philip. And when he came, there was crowds of people that were interested in this man named Jesus. And I have to believe that this woman found her healing that day. That this woman, by having this exchange, this interaction with Jesus, found life that day. That she made the choice to leave death behind. And she dropped her bucket at the well because she didn't need that well anymore. She didn't need that bucket anymore because the wells of living water were bubbling up inside of her. And when they bubble up inside of you, they can't help but pour out from you. And that's what God desires when he captures our heart. It's not just about us, but he wants us to know. And he wants people to see the water that's welling up inside of us so that they too can be led to find a place to drink. And that's why there's so much danger in hiding because it disconnects us from all the other people playing the game. But there's one who's seeking us. There's one who's pursuing us. Jesus, when he gets involved in this hide-and-seek game, it's no longer about how well we can stay hidden, but it's about no longer needing to be hidden anymore because he knows everything we've ever done and he loves us and he chooses us and he still pursued us. Jesus went to this well and he waited for her and he was exhausted, but he still sat and he identified with her thirst. He identified her pain and he chose to identify himself because he was the living water that she needed. So instead of being better hiders, we need to become better revealers and get to a place that when Jesus says, ready or not, here I come, where are you? We respond with a joyful, I'm right here. Just like my two-year-old son. That we understand the game. That we've begun to do it the way that we've learned, the way that everybody else is doing it around us. The way everybody else who's hurt, the way everybody else who's broken, the way everybody else who's frustrated, what everybody else hides from one another to try to live and to try to survive. And then we medicate it with so many different things, whether it be drugs or alcohol or relationships or, 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 or coffee or whatever it is that people want to pursue to try to satisfy their thirst. And Jesus stands in the middle of all of it and says, I'm here. I am Messiah. I am living water, and if you come to me, you're never going to thirst again. You don't have to stay in that place anymore. But why should we respond with joy in being found by Jesus? 
Because I know it's easy to say, well, yeah, you know, you're, you're a pastor. You know, it's, it's easier for you to say, you know, you should be, have joy in being found because you probably don't ever sin any ever, other day. And so it doesn't really matter. You don't know what I'm hiding. And if I came out with what I was hiding, then, then you know, there'd be no way they'd kick me out of the program. They wouldn't love me. My wife would leave me. My husband would leave me. My kids wouldn't talk to me. My job would fire me and all this sort of stuff. And we take it to the extremes and we forget that this man, Jesus, is the one who controls all of that. And Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, that says that when we conceal our sin, that we find death. But when we confess our sin, we find mercy. We find mercy. Because what is gaining all of the temporary things and and what is hiding behind all of these things that are going to burn away anyways? All of these things that are just rubble, all of these things that are just chaff that will be blown away when Jesus really steps back on this earth. It's all going to be revealed anyway. So how great do we think we are that we can hide behind some nonsense and hide behind our own abilities and our own thinking when Jesus knows it all and he's going to expose it all anyways. The joy is, the great thing is, is that Jesus knows it all and he's decided not to expose us to shame us, but to glorify his name by reconnecting us to himself. When I played hide and go seek with my son, it wasn't about, oh, oh, you're you're such a great hider. I'm just going to leave you there. I'm going to give up. I'm going to no. I'm trying to find him and my pursuit of him. My joy in the game is what excites him to play it along with me. I'm not angry that he's hiding. I'm excited and I'm pursuing him. And it's the joy connected to one another that brings real everlasting happiness and fulfillment. But the first reason why we should respond with joy and being found by Jesus is because Jesus loves us where he finds us. Jesus, it says Jesus had to go through that way. Well, Jesus didn't have to go through that way. It was a way to get to where he was going. But we get the understanding that the reason that he went there is because he wanted to. Why? Because his father sent him there on purpose. And Jesus wanted to do everything that the father asked him to do. He wanted to fulfill his father's work. And what was the work that he had to fulfill was that he didn't lose one of all of those that the father had given to him. And so his joy was in the going and his joy was in the pursuing. And and he met her in her place of need and he exposed her greatest need, which was not to be disconnected from everyone else, which was not just to get rid of the brokenness and the shame, but it was to be connected to him. God was not pleased with her sin, but he was pleased with his sacrifice for her sin. And I'm going to say it again. God is not pleased with our sin, but he is pleased with his sacrifice for our sin. So if God is pleased with his sacrifice for our sin, we should be pleased and grateful for his sacrifice for our sin and take it for what it really is. It is our healing. It is the balm of Gilead that wipes away our wounds, that heals our diseases and removes us from the place of bondage and affliction. See, Jesus was telling her that you may not think you're enough, but it's okay because I am. And that's what Jesus tells each and every one of us. You may not think you're enough. You may not think you're good enough. It's okay because I am. And if you come to me, I'll give you living water that you will never thirst again. It'll be bubbling up inside of you and you'll have a completely different outlook on life. The second reason I'm going to ask Mary, I don't know if she's still out there somewhere. She'd come jump on the piano when she gets a chance. The second reason that we need to come with joy 
is that Jesus satisfies our thirst. He satisfies our thirst by filling us with himself. And as we are filled with him, we are emptied of everything else. Listen, I, 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 I'm a counselor in training, and I do counseling, and I, I get all of the stuff. And I've been through an unimaginable about a month, amount of stuff myself. All of the reasons and all of the bondages and all of the stuff that gets us stuck and the things that we carry that causes anxiety and that causes depression. Now I've battled all those things myself. I've taken the antidepressant meds before and the anti-anxiety meds before. I've, I've done, been down those roads and seen psychiatrists and seen counselors and all of those sorts of things before. And they're, they help. Seeing a counselor, being able to talk to somebody about the things that you're going, goes through, going through helps. But in the end, there's only one thing that absolutely satisfies, and it's a relationship with Jesus because he alone can give you the insight that you need into things that you really need to change, that you can truly find the healing that you're desperately longing for. It's his voice inside of us that, that ministers to us, that does not expose us to shame us, but exposes what is shaming us that he may defeat it and reconnect himself to us. It's his whisper that says it's going to be okay. It's his whisper that says you can, you can make it through. You can trust again. You can be healed. This is your time. I'm going to see you through this. It's going to be okay. But it's only when we allow Jesus to be the satisfaction to our thirst. If we continue to play the game of hiding, it doesn't matter what meds you take. It doesn't matter what counseling you, counselor you see. The first step has to be to come to the well and to take a drink of water. And the well is Jesus. And the third reason that we need to respond with joy in being found is that Jesus aligns our heart in pure connection to the Father. You know, one of the most amazing statements that I read when I was studying over this earlier that just stuck out to me. In verse 23, it says, The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Just those words, the Father is looking. Four words. The Father is looking. The Father is looking. The Father is looking for those. And so the first thought that we need to, to think whenever we get ourselves bound, we get ourselves in a bad spot, is the Father is looking for me. When we feel distant, when we feel disconnected, the Father is looking for me. Not like the police are looking for you. <laughs> it's, a di it's a completely different type of looking because it's one that's rooted in love. He's looking for me, and we see that in the prodigal son. When the son was away, the father went out and looked for him. He stood watching and waiting. The father is looking, and he sent Jesus to find us. And the amazing thing is he didn't send Jesus among the perfect to find who he was looking for. He sent Jesus among the broken. And Romans tells us this, that while we were sinners, Jesus showed us or demonstrated his love. By coming and dying for us. 
Jesus, God the Father is looking and he sent Jesus among the broken because it was there that he wanted to find. He wanted to find, he was choosing to find those there that would be his. And when we realize what Jesus has done, we enter through the cross back into connection with the Father. And so just like me playing hide and seek with Liam, the game was just a setup. And everything that you experience in life is just a setup. Because the Father is looking and he's waiting and he's watching and he's wanting you. And the, the sooner that we get on to that script, the sooner that we'll find life. And the sooner that we'll find joy and that we'll find our healing. Becoming a Christian doesn't solve our problems. Learning to worship doesn't solve our problems. Doing God's work doesn't even solve our problems. We quickly want to go to these things as if they are the answer. But it's trusting Jesus enough to lay down our masks and allowing him to walk through the reordering of our heart and mind that solves our problems. And there's one simple phrase that I began to live my life by, and I don't always get it right, but it's a simple phrase that I say from time to time, life gets better as you do. And so what are we going to do tonight? Where do we find ourselves? Do we find ourselves at the place, at the well, at noonday, hiding not to be seen by others. Knowing or thinking, believing that we can't let others see or know what's going on in the inside. Afraid. Or maybe we think, well, I was, I was doing so well for a while and if people knew that I was struggling, they would think I was fake. And that's the last thing. I, I can't have that happen now. I've been in the program for, for three months, four months, eight months, ten months. What's going to happen if people know that I'm struggling? I don't want to be a bad influence. But the Father is looking. And the Father is looking and there's an anointing on returning. And so I just want us to bow our heads just for a moment. And we're going to close. I don't know what anyone in here is facing. I know, what is, I know what I'm facing, and I know why I need to hear this message. And I know that every message that I speak is, is first for myself. But where is this message true and right for you? I get that most of us in here, if not all, I, have, I don't know where everybody is at, has taken the step, has responded to Jesus for salvation. And if not, we want to give the opportunity to do that tonight. But maybe there's somewhere along that journey that things have gotten confused. Maybe there's somewhere along that journey that you feel like, you took two steps forward, but now three steps back. And tonight there's an anointing on returning. That God wants to overcome the three steps back. That God wants to remove the barriers. God wants to remove and give strength and grace over the things that have, have begun to bind us once again. The thought life. The things that we've begun partaking in that shouldn't be in this, at this season of our life right now. The struggle with faith. 
the burden of doing good in this season. The lack of worship, the lack of desire or heart for him or heart for those around us. Maybe we've just been frustrated, frustrated by the people in our lives that, God, that we know that God wants us to love. Maybe we've become frustrated with our position, our role. And tonight there's an anointing on returning. That we can have joy in being found tonight. That as Jesus calls our name, that we can say, I'm right here. And he'll take care of the rest. And so if you would like to respond to the Lord tonight, you can come forward and you can pray tonight. And if you'd like to just sit and, and talk to Jesus, I'm not one who, it doesn't bother me either way. My only concern is that between you and the Lord, there's a decision made and there's steps taken. That it's not just in one ear and out the other. That we take the opportunity to seriously evaluate our life and count the cost of what it looks like to let Jesus in just a little bit more. And so, Father, I thank you. I thank you tonight for your word. I thank you tonight that you have demonstrated to us what your love looks like. I thank you tonight, Lord, that you are looking and that you are, are also receiving us, Jesus. And God, as we respond to you, as we choose to return, whatever that means for us in this moment, God, I thank you that you are tearing down strongholds, and you are removing barriers. The God that you are speaking to each one and letting them know that this, this is the place where I'm meeting you today. For the woman, it was a, it was a well, but where, for you, where is it that Jesus is meeting you today? Where's the place that he wants you to overcome, and what's the bucket that he wants you to leave there to receive what he has instead? And I thank you for that today, Jesus, that we have these opportunities to continually come back and to be made whole. If you just take a moment just to begin to pray.